Welcome to Talking Giants, episode 100. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, coming to you from Florida, here with my co-host, Danny King, coming to you from New York. we got two special friends. It's a bi-week roundtable. We're at a table, and it's round. we got Justin Pennick and David Powers of Bleeding Blue. Fellas, without further ado, let's talk Giants. Welcome, folks. It's the bye week. Like I said, it's me, your it's me, your pal Bobby, here with Danny. We're here with Justin and David of the Bleeding Blue Crew. Justin, I'll start with you. How are you doing, my man? Bobby, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I think all of your listeners should know that we're using a little bit of a different method of recording tonight. And one of those methods includes uh, I have the uh, all-powerful ability of a soundboard. Yeah, I should have put my own soundboard on there. Been like, no, you have to delete all yours and put these on there because I feel like I have some better ideas. Um, and that's just not a shot at you. It's just a belief in Oof. myself. I'm the best. Half of them would have been from Dumb and Dumber, to be honest. Justin, Justin, I'm about to go to war for you, all right? David, I didn't introduce uh, you. David, David Justin. Powers, how are you doing, my man? Right, you're right. I'm sorry, Justin. Uh, my war has been rescinded. I am, I am no longer going for, going to war for you. Uh, I still love you. All right, I'm all right with that. All right, fellas, you guys are on the show. We appreciate you coming on. We got a lot to talk about. You know, we just did uh, an hour on Bleeding Blue. Make sure you go listen to that. Um, I feel like it was a pretty fun episode. But we got some other things we want to talk about here. We want to talk about Pat Shermer. We want to talk about James Betcher. Some other things. And Justin, I think you even got some uh, some voicemails keyed up. Um, yes, I do. What do you guys want to attack first, Justin? I'll ask you. What do you, What do you want to attack first? Let's do the voicemails sure. and get them Let's out of the way. Let's do voicemails. All right, Danny, play the voicemail. Yes, I, I will. Let me hit that. Let me hit that button now. Thanks, Steve from Blues Clues. <laughs> hey, what's up, Bleeding Blue and Talking Giants? This is uh, Dylan. Just calling in, got to vent a little bit, man. It's been a rough, uh, rough couple weeks, and uh, just got to say, I mean, there's a lot of promise in our rookies. I think, even if it's, you know, not should reflecting in our record, I got to say, Dexter Lawrence is looking like he could be a stud with a uh, really, really nice edge piece we could add to the draft or through free agency. Um, Daniel Jones, really, really impressive. I mean, what 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 was it? There's a crazy stat that's three games by a rookie that's thrown over 300 yards with four touchdowns and no interceptions. You got two of them. Uh, come on, man. We can't be killing Gettleman all over Giants Twitter when he picked a gem that everybody hated him for. Um, not including myself. I love yeah, Daniel everyone Jones. Says I, that I had afterwards. to believe in it because they get paid more than us, so they had to see something <laughs> we didn't. Um, DeAndre Baker's going to need some adjusting, but. That's a, that all comes with coaching too. People aren't harping on that enough. They're they're writing these 
these articles that are dissing them, and it's just not All informed shorts. well enough. They're not forming their own opinion. So uh, I'd really like to hear your guys' opinion on, you know, the prospect of our rookie class going forward for years to come. I think Gettleman's safe. Not sure about Shermer. Definitely not sure about Betcher. But if we can get the right guys in there to, to coach our guys up, I think we got, we got a bright future ahead of us with how young we are. Um, love the show. Love both shows. Talking Giants, you guys are great. Uh, bleeding Blue, you know I'm always going to ride for you guys. Hey, have a good rest of your uh, rest of the season. Enjoy it. Love listening to you guys. Dylan Rivera, day one. Dylan. Love Dylan Rivera. Um, all right, so Dylan brought up coaching. Um, what goes forward? You know, he brought up there's, there's young, bright spots. I don't think any of us are on the fire Dave Gettleman uh, crowd. So I didn't want to lead with this. But let's freaking lead with this. Pat Shermer, I know we all kind of have some disagreements and agreements. So, David, I know you aren't in the Pat Shermer train. Start. I want you to go and talk to me why you don't believe in Pat Shermer. I don't believe in Pat Shermer because he has given me no reason to believe in him. There, there's He has no track record, uh, whether it was in Cleveland or or whether it was here in New York, that he is capable of of, of coaching a, a winning football team. You know, I, you see a lot of things on Twitter talking about firing Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer, or just one of them, or Dave Gettleman has done an admirable job of, of putting a team together that, that can win football games. Am I saying this team is capable of winning a playoff game or getting to the playoffs? No, I think we would all agree that this team's that this team this year's ceiling was a playoff berth. And and that would be a nine to ten win, probably nine win playoff berth at best. Dave Gettleman has put together a team that is capable of that, in my opinion. Injuries have hurt. Don't get me wrong, I understand that. But Pat Shermer has continued to show his inability to coach a creative offense. For instance, when Saquon Barkley's been healthy, it has been laughable, the, the amount of predictability in their running game. It's just running between the ta- running between the guards. It's not even not even between the tackles. It's not it's not attempting to get Saquon Barkley in any kind of space. Not attempting to get him um, where he's probably his most hey. dangerous, especially if he is rehabbing an injury. My in my opinion, you you need to get him in the most natural kind of space you can. Don't force him to make cuts that he's not capable of making right now. I think. He's done a decent job with Daniel Jones, keeping the playbook simple and keeping the playbook in Daniel Jones's favor. But I don't think he's helped Daniel Jones in the sense that he, as the offensive line has gone down, ha- has regressed as the year has gone on. As the year has gone on, he's not giving Daniel Jones more help uh, in terms of using tight ends to block. He's he's leaving guys like Eric Smith on an island. It seems to me like. Pat Shermer is not understanding what the personnel of this team is and how to utilize it at its highest level. And now I've been a I've been a defender of James Betcher, but I have to be honest, he he's not used the defense's personnel at its highest level either. I think coaching has been an issue all around this year. But Pat Shermer, I take an issue with first and foremost because I think this offense has had the ability and has had the opportunity 
to really show some some really good things, and they have at times, but they've not been able to take complete games over like they really should be capable of. If Daniel Jones is capable of four touchdown, three hundred yards game yard games, as Dylan uh, as Dylan pointed out, they should be able to do that more consistently. But I think Pat Shermer's conservative play calling and and lack of understanding of what he's got around him. I think that continues to hinder them. So I I think Pat Shermer has just not shown me the ability to consistently win and consistently outcoach the opposing coach at a high level since he's been here. And and now as the team gets better, I think that becomes more and more. All right. So Mike, and I'll kick it to Justin in a second, but like some of the points you've made that Saquon didn't use the right way. Well, when Saquon was healthy last year, he led the league in yards from scrimmage. And you can't just put that all on, well, he's like the best because he is, but like there takes something, there's something there to that. Um, and like I broke down, like everyone says Carolina, Carolina does the most creative things with Chris McCaffrey. And last week I went and broke down every single McCaffrey catch, not doing anything special. So maybe like you could say per- Shermer is, but like there's not like people think getting a running back open is like, like, there's just, like, three things you need to do. Like, it's not the easiest thing in the world, especially when you have a guy like Saquon. Team's game plan. Like, you can't really run a wheel route with Saquon a lot because, like, we tried to do it against Dallas. They ran, like, a, a, a wheel route maybe three, four times. The linebacker was bailing, bailing. So, now there, there's ways to play around with that. So, like, it's – and Saquon's hurt. But when he's been healthy, he's been a beast, averaging, like, six yards per carry, even the first two games of this season. Um, and then with as far as Daniel Jones – you got to give him some credit for that because he wasn't even planned to be the starter this season. He didn't practice with the starters in camp at all, not once. His only time with the, with the starters was um, and, and some li- and a little bit of preseason action. He gets some credit for that. And the playbook has to be a little more simpler for Daniel Jones. And it, it is because there's a lot of like mirror mirror plays where it's like the same things on both sides so Daniel Jones doesn't have to progress a lot. And we know Daniel Jones is a heady dude who's going to figure that out and things can be opened up more. And he and we've seen Daniel Jones make this progress without Saquon Barkley. Like he's really has not had Saquon Barkley as progression, and he has fixed helped fix some of Daniel Jones' errors. Like the Arizona game, um, like New England was wasn't a good game from Daniel Jones, but that defense was so good, and guys just literally couldn't get open no matter what. So that Arizona game was probably his worst because he held on to the ball too long. It led to sacks. It led to fumbles, and that was a big talking point. He's like, listen, he needs to figure out when to check it down. What did we see the next week versus Detroit? We didn't get a win. We saw four touchdowns, and a lot of those were when he was taking what the defense given. So that has something to do with coaching, too. So I get that there's a lot of blame, and I have criticisms of Shermer. I pit a lot of the defensive issues on Shermer, too, because he's the head coach, and he needs to be the head coach. You can't just say, like, we can't just say the defense isn't his fault at all because it is part of his fault because he's the head coach. And if he wants to be the head coach, he needs to take some control of the defense. I'm not expecting him to go out there and call plays. But he needs to be in those meeting rooms with Betcher and talking about philosophy and ways to game plan against a, a certain team. So I think there's like the Saquon thing, I just don't I don't buy that. And then the Daniel Jones thing, like you, you've got to give him some credit for the way Daniel Jones has progressed. I mean, it's – and the fact that, you know what, like Shermer – Shermer was was just as much as with Gettleman as picking this guy and having the balls and knowing that he's fit well. So, um, and you know, injuries take a place. So that's that would be like my rebuttal to that. Justin, um, do you have any thoughts at all in your head? Yeah, my my critiques of Pat Shermer they've been they've been pretty consistent. Where basically 
it still is very much a wait and see in a lot of regards to how he can actually fully take control of this football team. Now, obviously, in terms of injuries, your football team is never going to be 100%. So you do need to game plan. You do need to coach around that. However, there are legitimate gripes as to why Pat Shermer still does deserve to stick around number one and for Giants fans to basically still have faith in him. And where the critiques do come in, at least for me, it's situational awareness. And it's situational awareness in terms of not recognizing certain trends of the league, like passing out of running formations, the utilization of play action. You know, the Giants are a team right now that's centered around Saquon Barkley, that's centered around, uh, you know, a, a newly established offensive line this year. Situational awareness in terms of play action rollouts in the red zone, uh, they they don't work. The field is shrinking. Why are you running play action rollouts in the red zone? Uh, calling the utilization of timeouts. Uh, it's been a critique that has been ongoing from time to time where he just doesn't seem to have such a full management and full control with how the game is progressing. Uh, however, you look at the progression of Jones and the reason why Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman were brought in here is to mentor and to get ready the next of kin at quarterback. That is why they were brought in here. Dave Gettleman, I'm pretty sure he's gone on the record and he said multiple times, if I do nothing else with this franchise, at least I want to find the next quarterback. And if I can retire with that, he would be happy. I think he's gone on record and he said something about that. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. But Pat Shermer, that's why he was brought in here. He was brought in here to mentor the next of kin and at least a check mark that he can check off in 2019, despite not having Saquon Barkley, despite not having Sterling Shepard, despite Evan Ingram. You know, and there are questions, there are question marks around Evan Ingram on a consistent basis. Daniel Jones has done very, very well for the circumstances, and you could check that box off for Pat Shermer. And then all these thoughts, they've obviously changed as the weeks have gone on because we didn't know that Saquon Barkley was not 100% until we've seen from week by week by week that, you know what, this just isn't the guy. So I think, therefore, your thoughts around Shermer need to also change as well. Justin, what you said about him developing Jones is 100% true. Pat Shermer deserves a lot of credit for how Jones has been able to he was game ready by the time he was in there in Tampa but then his play calling is another issue he has as you mentioned so I personally feel that he's just I feel, play calling right now is not his thing and that's if he gives a play call in my opinion on him could change like a whole 360 because he just is struggling to call plays maybe if Shula gets it maybe he'll bring something to the table or in the offseason he just needs to bring in a offensive coordinator that could call the plays because if he could do that, he could just become the true leader of this team and just focus on everything as a whole. I believe Pat Sherman could be a great head coach. I mean, I get what you're what you guys are saying about Pat Shermer, and I agree with you. Pat Shermer deserves a lot of credit for the way that he's handled Daniel Jones and the way that he's allowed Daniel Jones to progress. You know, Bobby, you you were addressing Saquon Barkley and and my point with Saquon and I want to go back there for a second. So I think my biggest issue has to do with, I get the feeling when I, when I watch a giants game and, and, and admittedly, I am not a savant when it comes to analyzing game film. And I, and I, and I, I don't get the X's and O's to the same, to the same level the coaches do, you know, we're both fan podcasts. We get that, but there, it just seems, it, it seems to me that week in and week out, the opposing defense 
defensive coordinator makes adjustments to the Giants' offensive game plan faster than Pat Shermer can adjust to the defensive adjustments. So what annoys me is watching Pat Shermer bang his head against the wall, drive in and drive out. For instance, first and 10, let's say Daniel Jones goes incomplete. It is almost without fail that Pat Shermer runs the ball in second and 10 up the middle behind the left guard for a gain of one. That has been the story of the 2019 season for the Giants. And and I get the overall point that Saquon Barkley is not healthy and the offensive line has been has been overall probably disappointing especially when it, especially when it comes to the run game. But a good offensive coordinator and unfortunately Pat Shermer has taken it upon himself to be our offensive coordinator and that's the Danny's point. If if he maybe just focused on one aspect, maybe I could get behind this. A good offensive coordinator can can see after not only one game, but after three drives, that that's not working. The, the defense has your number on X, Y, and Z play calls, and you adjust them. Dan Schneier has called it a stubbornness. It, exactly. It's precisely it. And, and you see it both in the game and you see it in his press conferences. That attitude comes out. There's a stubbornness to, to Pat Shermer, and 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 it's it's ultimately what drove Ben McAdoo out of New York, running running eleven personnel ninety percent of the time. I, I want to do some things that I I agree with or disagree with myth, myth busting is like that he doesn't make adjustments. I mean, how many times have we been down fourteen zero, and then we come and tie it back up? So it's not like we're getting off like like to like score like you could say that in week two with Eli. When like we were scoring first drive, and then after that it was like nothing. But I think with Jones, it's been like kind of different. It's, it's been better in adjusting. And then with the Saquon creativity, he ran the ball thirteen times, and Daniel Jones threw it forty times. That's not like a ratio of, of a of a coach who's like, I'm just going to keep pounding it. And so on thirteen carries, um, either three or four were outside runs, and all of those went for negative yards because our tackles just could not like seal that edge. Um, and and other teams like and. I feel like because we see teams run outside on us, we're just kind of like, well, why don't we run outside? It's like, well, because they don't have the worst two inside linebackers in the NFL with Ogletree and Mayo. Um, so, like, the outside <laughs> runs went worse. And at the end of the day, like, the NFL is about running inside. I know the Vikings run outside, but there's not any other team that just runs outside, outside like that. Um, maybe the 49ers, I'm not sure. Um, but they've also had, like, established tackles with McGlinchey and Staley. So, I think, like, I mean – People think like I don't understand. Like he wasn't just pounding Saquon into the ground against like in our most recent games against the Jets. He got 13 carries and uh, a 20 to 25 percent of those were outside, and they just didn't establish anything. So it's kind of like one of those if you don't if you can't run inside, what makes you think you can do what's even harder than running inside, which is running outside. Like running out, blocking outside runs is exponentially harder than blocking inside runs, and the Giants weren't able to do either. Um, but even on the inside runs, like. There was times where, um, like the Kevin Zeitler pull one that I I, I I broke down, like that was somebody screwed up right there. If not, that's like a ten plus yard run. And then the draw play before the half. I mean, he had all the room in the world. Uh, Saquon goes right instead of left, uh, and and Zeitler's not able to make the block. And that's like another like twenty plus yard run with a health. Like even if even with like a healthy Saquon, that run goes twenty plus yards. Um, and then, like, people say, well, he's not creating the pass game. And I did the McCaffrey thing. 
And like in and after Dallas, like there's no creativity in the pass game with Saquon. It's like I saw a screen pass go 68 yards. I saw them run wheel routes. I saw them run arrow routes. Now they weren't hit. So I guess you can blame that. Like you can go after that. But I just feel like like every week I'm like frustrated with Shermer. And then I go and watch like the all 22 film. And I, I understand not everyone could go watch that. I'm not expecting people to. And like, but, but when I do go, I'm like, man, like I was wrong about this. I was wrong about that. So, um, David, I'll, I'll kick it back to you and we can kind of finish on the Pat Shermer uh, point there. Unless anybody else has anything after that. All right. So I, I get what you're saying and I, and I, and I do agree with it to an extent. Um, you know, I think this is the kind of thing that I, I don't, I just don't think people are going to 100% agree and that's fine. Yeah, And I have criticisms um, of Shermer and I don't think it, I don't think it's crazy to want Pat Shermer gone. I've said that, like, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's even a bad take. I just, I feel like there is some like myth busting out there to do like, like the timeouts, everyone freaked out about the timeouts against the Jets. As soon as the game over, it's like, I'm going to have to go get it. I'm getting pen and paper and I'm figuring out what the difference was. And it was the right decision to do. And that was the least interaction I had on a tweet all week because it kind of took what everyone was mad about, including guys I love, like Duggan posted <laughs> about it. It's not like it's not like those are two of my favorite guys. Like they all posted about it. And I did the math and it's like, actually, it was the right decision to do. Right. And, and I think Pat Shermer's in a tough spot, right? Because this team this team is admittedly lacking at a lot of important positions and, and they they don't have depth at all. Forget depth. They, they just don't have a lot of talent um, in a lot of important positions. So I think it makes this job very tough. I, I think what's the most frustrating thing for me is just you see a lot of a, a lot of teams that seemingly have similar issues to the Giants, right? So teams that have holes in certain areas, whether it be quarterback, offensive line, defense, wide receiver, whatever it may be. And you just see that they're getting more more out of their team than, than Pat Shermer seems to get out of the Giants. I get, you know, you, you look back and, and you look at the at the different things that Shermer tries to do, and you realize where the the lack of talent really hurts them. So so I, I think we can agree to disagree on that at, at this point. Otherwise, we'll keep running in circles. But Pat Shermer's a very interesting situation and topic at the moment because he's really a microcosm of a lot of Dave Gettleman's moves and a lot of John Mara's decisions in the past and and he's in a really tough spot and I don't envy him at all personally he just doesn't give me a lot of faith moving forward that he will right this ship and he will continue to allow these rookies to, to progress the way that I'd like them to progress and this team will go in the right direction. And I think that's a great transition to kind of like this this question um, that um, Andrew Owens kind of left me in in the DMs, and um, where where I feel like you need to actually talk about. Well, people want Pat Shermer fired, and that's just like a feeling, and that's a want, and that's a desire. But what you need to talk about is the most important position in all of sports, and that's the quarterback. So Andrew Owens kind of asked me the questions in the in the DMs about how much would you say the rookie to sophomore Q, QB development has to do with coaching? And I think if you're on the fire Pat Shermer train or make a move, whether it be Shermer and Gettleman or just one of them, it would probably be Shermer. If you're going to fire Shermer, Gettleman ain't going anywhere. So – I think that question is essential 
And Danny, uh, we'll we'll throw it to you. I guess we can throw it to you first since <laughs> since Danny's been very quiet. But uh, yeah, Danny, what would you basically say? Because I think this question is essential when asking. Okay, Pat Shermer's responsible for this. Pat Shermer's responsible for that. This question is absolutely essential to answer in terms of Pat Shermer's future and this team's future. That's something I, I've been thinking about every time since I said fire Pat Shermer. That was something I said after the Cowboys lost. I'm like. Fire and Shermer, I have my questions because the development of Daniel Jones is very important, and I fear changing a quarterback this soon into his career could be damaging to someone like Daniel Jones in particular that had that uh, consistency of David Cutcliffe at Duke. Having Pat Shermer be that guy to teach him what to do right and wrong, I feel like it's very essential. We saw what he helped do to Case Keenum in Minnesota. Now, granted, he wasn't the head coach at the time, but Case Keenum, he has fallen off since Minnesota. So keeping Pat Shermer around would benefit Daniel Jones entirely because he will have that familiarity with the offense because Daniel Jones, he didn't face that much adversity at Duke, and he's already faced a ton of adversity here with the the turnover problems, and he already had the people not liking him when he first came. So he's been thrown a lot in his rookie year here in New York. So. And I brought the point. Like, I feel like Sam Darnold right now and Adam Gase, they aren't clicking. Now, maybe that could change next year. But I feel like so far, Adam Gase and Sam Darnold haven't blown me away. Yes, they beat us. And that's not me hating on the Jets. I still believe Sam Darnold's a good quarterback. But they just aren't clicking like the way they were. Because you saw on that first drive, they dominated the Giants' defense. But then after that, they just couldn't get anything going. Now, that's because James Betcher blitzed and threw some confusing look. But you get my point. Daniel Jones and Pat Shermer... I, I patch him here for the long haul. As much as I say I want him gone, I would be shocked if he's gone unless he loses this locker room because that's something he hasn't done. But keeping patch him around helps Daniel Jones feel comfortable. It will help him develop properly. And if you look at it, what's Daniel Jones' biggest problem right now? He Sometimes he's got a, bit, a problem with pocket awareness and holding on to the football. He has not thrown an interception in the past few games. And when he makes throws, these throws are pretty damn good. And, he, and when he reads the defense well, he makes plays. So... I didn't keep it around Pat Shermer for that point and have the familiarity with Daniel Jones will be very beneficial, not only for this year, but for years to come because the Giants ways of the fire coach after two years. I think Shermer's still got at least another year or two. I have been waiting for the year 2020, not saying that I've been waiting for 2020, but basically I have been waiting for a rookie quarterback's second year with the New York football giants, our favorite team. I have been waiting for that for a very, very long time, basically since post 2017, maybe even in the middle of 2017 as well. You know, once uh, I think I finally came to the realization that Eli Manning uh, was not needed to get off this football team. I, I was, I was on that boat and I was on that train. You know, I will, I will admit that even though I was pretty optimistic about, you know, maybe he could stick around for a few games this season to perform and help us win, but neither here nor there. I have been waiting because what you see in the NFL today, Carson Wentz taking over in the second year. You see Russell Wilson, guys performing very, very, very well under their rookie contracts. Now, Jared Goff is an interesting exception because during his second year, he actually had a new head coach. Where under his first year, under his first rookie, you know, his, his rookie season with Jeff Fisher, he didn't even look like an NFL quarterback. You're thinking, okay, you know, you're putting you're putting your bets in for the over under of this guy spending four years in the league, and then, and that'll be he'll be a backup quarterback for the rest of his career. But then McVay comes in, 
And he becomes this great guy. And again, the common theme of a second-year quarterback, these guys taking huge leaps and bounds. Now you have Baker Mayfield on the other end, which Bobby can obviously talk about. And I know Bobby, you two, you two kind of like to bash on Baker Mayfield sometimes a little bit. And I'll bash we, on his head with a helmet. <laughs> oh Jesus. boy, ooh, that's that's tough. <laughs> you know, formations and personnel. What- that's a tough. That's oh, a tough. That, that, that's a tough look right now. So, Bobby. but basically, the point is, is that I have been <laughs> waiting. Like me as a football fan, Justin Panic being, you know, struggling through the Eli Manning days and David and I, we would have arguments and conversations all last season about, you know, David would be more of an Eli guy, believe it or not. I would be a very heavy Eli critic. And I have been waiting for the second year. And to be honest, even if it doesn't work, even if this doesn't work, this whole Pat Shermer thing does not work. I do not want, I'm coming to the realization right now there are still six games left in the season or five games left in the season that the Giants still have. I do not want that instability for Daniel Jones. And I don't want, and I don't really want this instability for this football team because this football team is about to go through a massive haul during this offseason anyway. Do we really want to be sitting in August and talking about a, again and again that we have a new playbook and these guys need to learn a new playbook and we need to be patient? No, I want to freaking hit the ground running. Yeah, I'm on. I'm on both sides. I, I want to make my point quick. Uh, there's pros and cons to both. Like like you mentioned with uh, McVeigh and Goff, and then you know Kitchens and Baker. Um, I think it has more to do with the quarterback. Really, I really do. Um, so like, if say Shermer's fired and they bring in a guy and Daniel Jones like becomes great, like even more great, I wouldn't be surprised because you can go, you can get the right guy, but. People just think going out like, oh, you got to get the young guy. Like, no, we have to get the right guy. You can't just get some young college coach. You have to get the right guy. There's not like people. It's kind of like the NFL is a copycat league to a fault where it's like, well, this team is doing the right thing doing this way. It's like, no, it's I don't think it's as much as like McVay being young and innovative. It's just McVay being a good coach and Shanahan being a good coach. Like we're seeing with Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. They're 0-9. Um, so I, I just feel like there's – a lot more goes into like, oh, you just got to get a young guy. So uh, you can bring in the right guy with Jones and, and fire Shermer and him have a great year. Um, and also, I don't think – I think Jones is a guy who's going to work at his craft more than anybody in the league. And I don't exaggerate when I say that. I don't think there's a guy that will work as hard right. at his craft uh, like Daniel Jones since Peyton Manning. I truly – or, or Pey- Peyton and Brady. I don't think Rodgers. I don't think Eli even. I really don't. I think Jones is going to put it at his craft harder than anybody and in the right ways more than anybody, not just by, oh, I'm going to lift for an extra hour today. No, he's going to be in there with the Giants staff and Coach Cutcliffe, who's like my my football dad. And so I'm not really worried about the development of Jones. I just kind of I, – I actually like Shermer. So that's <laughs> that was my quick point that wasn't that quick. You want to move to uh, some offensive line stuff? Um. Yeah, yeah. Let's do the Frank the Tank uh, voicemail because I know we're going a little longer, and then we'll do O line stuff. Bobby and Justin, big fan of what you guys do on a daily. Not a big fan of Danny and David, though. Bringing a um, keen observations and a level head to a otherwise abysmal season. Um, I have a question for you. Making the playoffs 
only six of 15 of Eli Manning's seasons, with two of them resulting in Super Bowls. Would either of you two give up one of those Super Bowl wins for playoff appearances in, let's say, 13 out of 15 seasons? So some more more sustained success rather than two hot playoff runs. Um, interested to see what your thoughts were. Yeah, so Frank goes on to, uh, he makes some points about the team as a whole, but I really want to stick to there, and I really want to stick to that question. Because uh, it's a good question, it really is a good question, especially since, you know, we we're, we're talking about sustainability in terms of inconsistency with keeping Shermer and Jones together. Do we want to become a football team that's centered around consistent and sustainable success year by year and making and making the playoffs? Or do we want to stick to this whole narrative of we want to be a team of destiny, and, and if we can get on a run, we get on a run? So uh, basically Frank's question was, would you trade um, either maybe one of those Super Bowl appearances for one of those Super Bowl wins for uh, consistent, sustainable playoff appearances year by year? I'll, I'll start. No way. Super Bowls are busts, baby. And that's why people hated Kevin McElbride because some of the stuff he did. But his offense was built for the playoffs when defenses are more keened in then the offense is like okay if they're gonna play that defense you run that route I love Kevin McGilbride like I can't stand the the Kevin McGilbride hate so and Super Bowls like as much as I like being in the playoffs every year and being able to talk trash those two Super Bowls are so near and dear to me so I keep the Super Bowls Justin go yeah I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, teams of destiny um you know you just look at the emotional attachment that we have especially to that 07 team because of who they beat and the circumstances that they beat them and you literally cannot write better movies better stories than those two teams and the attachment that you know you have to Tom Cloth and especially in 2011 his progression as a head coach saying you know I love you saying before that 2011 Super Bowl I mean it truly is just it's it's things of magic and um, I would not trade those uh, for the world and it really is the story I wouldn't trade the stories if the story wasn't as interesting maybe but it's the stories of how impactful those two Super Bowls were to really all of us Listen to the dance by Garth Brooks. That's how I feel about it. <laughs> Danny, go. I'm, I'm in agreement with you guys there. Those two Super Bowls, as you say, you just can't make that stuff up. 2011, you got a kid from Patterson, New Jersey. I believe that's where Victor is from, where no one knew about him. And then he came in, shocked the world. He made great plays, that 99-yard touchdown pass against the Jets. And then having the ball placed in Eli Manning's hands in those final two, in that final drive to lead us to glory, in that beautiful pass to Mario Manningham, the getting out of the sacks. Just the destiny stories are so much more fun because you don't know what's going to happen. It's just surprises at each and every turn. So yeah, I wouldn't trade those two Super Bowls for the world. It's it would be it it we didn't have those two games. The Giants are nothing special. They're just a team in the NFL. But because of those two Super Bowls. That makes the Giants a next level team. Um, I agree with all of you. Um, but I want I, let me let me point something different out. So, yes, the teams of destiny were a lot, were a lot of fun, and and those Super Bowl teams were like some were like the greatest years of my life. But also think about some of the teams that have had like that consistent con- consistent success outside of the Patriots. You're left with like the Bengals, who have had consistent regular season success, the Atlanta Falcons, who have had con- fairly consistent regular season con- success, 
uh, the Saints. A lot of these teams have had a lot of success, but not a lot of wins. Not a lot of big, big wins, Super Bowl wins. I would rather have our little crappy 9-7 and seven Super Bowl year than have a 13-3 and three year end in the divisional round, and that's what a lot of the NFL experiences. So I would say let's just keep to what works for us, and we'll have a lot of down years, a lot of crappy, crappy endings, and Super Bowl wins every now and again. Shitty seasons kind of blend in with each other, but terrible losses, especially when they come during the playoffs, that sticks with you and scars you for life. Like, to be fair, we don't know a lot of playoff losing. That is true. We also don't know a lot of playoffs, but <laughs> we don't know a lot of playoff losing. The Giants have the best record in NFL history in the in the AFC or NFC championship game. They've never lost an NFC championship game. They are 5-0. and Never lost. Undefeated. All right. Um, Justin, I kind of forgot the outline to this. Why don't you why don't you lead us to our next part? Since I mean I'm supposed to be hosting this, but screw it, we'll do it live. We'll do it live. Have you ever, have you ever seen the Bill O'Reilly freak out? Yes. Okay. <laughs> screw it, we we'll do it live. <laughs> I'll write it and we'll do it live. Thing sucks. Oh Jesus. <laughs> So basically, I'm thinking about two more things that we'll touch on this episode, and then we'll wrap to up. To play us out. What does that mean, to play us out? I don't know what that means, to play us out. Bobby, you're a boomer. <laughs> Be quiet. It's, it's hip nowadays. So since Bobby Skinner does not remember the uh, the outline, and that's bad guy move number one for him on this episode, um, basically where I, I kind of want to bring this conversation next is a natural plug and a natural promotion of Bobby Skinner's new article and the great things that he's going to be doing with Patricia Trania and Sports Illustrated, which he can tell you about. But uh, I basically, I basically kind of want to have a conversation about the offensive line and uh, the surprising kind of maybe development of Nick Gates – and where this leaves Mike Remmers and where this kind of leaves uh, Nate Solder. So, Bobby, if you kind of maybe want to tell everybody about uh, what what that's going to be all about, where you're going to be working with Patricia Trania, and then we can have a conversation about the line and uh, go from there. Yeah, I'm doing a weekly article for SI and Patricia Trania. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yeah, that's not fair. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, just, just, that ma- just that magazine that I've been – just that magazine that I've been uh I've been subscribed to for my entire freaking life. <laughs> but it doesn't go in the magazine. It goes online. It goes online. It doesn't go in the magazine. Oh, okay. So, I'm so sorry. Not yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, and I don't. I I hate talking about myself. The offensive line. Let me just go one. You know, one through five. Remmers has been pretty good. He's had two bad games, but for the most part, my man's been good. Zeitler has been good, but not as dominant as I've wanted. Jalapio has been average, and we saw that everyone like, Jalapio's got to go. He sucks. We brought Spencer Pillion. Horrible. He had a worse game than Jalapio's had all season against the Jets. Hernandez has played really good all year, besides the Jets game where he got blown up a few times. That was weird. And Solder has been the weakest link. He's been not only the most overrated, like the most overpaid, but just been – Literally the worst offensive lineman on this team. He has horrible technique. He doesn't have a mean streak in him. He's just a he's a I can't stand like saying this about another man, but he's a he plays like a loser. He really does. Um so I, I'm really oversolder. Gates, it was one game, but he looked really freaking good, man. So check out the article and I'll, and you can understand why I like Gates a little more. 
that'll be the plug for the article. Yeah, do we think that there is literally any chance that I mean, because people are talking about how Gates needs to stay as a starter, but in my opinion, you can't pull Remmers. So do you think there is literally any chance thinking about how much money we are paying the you know Nate Solder and the fact that Nate Solder does have a C on his shirt, if that has anything to really do with any kind of executive decisions that are made, coaching decisions. But do we think that there is a chance that Remmers could jump over to the left side and Gates could be a permanent kind of stay at right tackle for the rest of the season? Or does everything just stay status quo that we've had before the Jets game? And does Gates just go back to the bench after the bye week? If Remmers is healthy. I would have to see one more game against uh, – I would have to see Gates versus the Bears because the Bears have a much better defensive uh, front than the Jets. Um, I would have to see that before I can make that point. But I don't think it's the craziest thing in the world because Soldier's going to be gone. Let's see how well – like let's get Gates in there somehow. I'd love to see Gates play center because I, as much as I like Gates, I'm not sure how well he can be a tackle long term. Um, but I do know I do I do have faith that he can play at guard or center long term. Um, tackled more of a question, uh, but yeah, Solder I'm just done with. Uh, there's like nothing he could do in these next six games that would change my mind on him. I'm serious. I don't care if he doesn't give up a sack for the rest of the season. I am not. I am vowing to not going into 2020 believing that Nate Solder could be a key piece for the Giants. Yeah, he's definitely gonna. He's definitely gonna have to be a cut. I didn't believe. And Nate Solder going into the season, but also said he was the least expendable guy on the team. That if he went down, that would affect the team the most. And now I'm like wishing he wasn't there. Right, right. That's a that's a great point. So, Bobby, you were mentioning a mean streak before, um, and this is this is something that I really I want to have this conversation and this question asked publicly. Um, you're a former college athlete who's who was an offensive lineman. I was a former uh, kid who played an offensive line in early high school in Pop Warner. So uh, I guess we're on some sort of level playing field here. But uh, what would you, what would you prefer? A guy in an offensive lineman with a mean streak, or a guy in an offensive lineman with great footwork, hand placement, and technique? Because I know you even talked about in that article uh, that you wrote for Sports Illustrated this week um, that Nick Gates he kind of does have that that mean streak. And that's something that you kind of maybe hinted at that you prefer over that technique, even though Nick Gates does have great technique, not to diminish that. But what do you, what do you think about that? I would prefer the technique, but mean streak is my favorite because I just, I love nasty guys. In fact, I even like dirty football players, to be honest. Now I'm not saying bash people over the head, but I like dirty (laughs) football players. I really do. Um, to, to an extent, to an extent, I don't want people thinking I'm out here like gut concussions, Go for the head. Like, I'm not Greg Williams. Um, but a, t- a tackle technique is way more important than a mean streak. At guard and center, you can kind of get away with being a mauler and not having the greatest technique because like, a guard is, is it's really a much easier position than tackle. That's why they put Eric Flowers in there in Washington. And he's, and he's actually looked pretty decent, which is like kind of almost aggravating. Um, so tackle technique, definitely. And I'd say even center and guard technique, but it's just mean streak is I like it more. It's like, it's like, like what's better for a linebacker speed or hard hitting speed. But we all love seeing the hard hits way more than a guy chasing a guy down from behind. Yeah. The now in terms of the, the mean streak, like you were talking about where, you know, there's a separation between that and dirty, you know, when you, uh, what I, what I loved and what I enjoyed when I, when I played um, is the feeling, you know, when you put somebody on the ground, and, you know, they're not wearing rib pads. You put an elbow in their ribs as you're getting up. 
Like you just put a you just put a little elbow. Oh, when you, Justin. Yeah. Justin, when you know slide protection, what we would do is yeah. you know you slide and slide. You don't have to have like two hands on a guy at all times. We just take that other hand and just start punching him in the ribs. Um, yeah. When I would, and then on double teams, we'd do that. We'd, we'd have outside hand on the shoulder for double teams. Inside hand, literally just uppercutting a dude up into his stomach. Uh, if you pancake the guy, you'd wait for him to start standing up and just slam his ass on the ground again. I love dirty football. I even like punches, to be honest. Yeah, I mean it, that's it's not even like I mean I guess maybe punch. I mean punches within a within a tight space. Refs can't see that. Refs can't see that when you have a scrum. And also one of one of one of the other things I enjoyed is when I was a defensive lineman and I had an offensive guy who was number one holding me and number two I saw that he had terrible technique and he was leaning. I would punch him in the ear hole. I would open up my hips and I would give a nice little punch to the ear hole and they would go on all fours and I would laugh and I would watch him on film and he would be embarrassed. Wait, so so Danny, I believe you and I are hearing this correctly yeah. that Bobby and Justin are just some of the dirtiest football players yeah. that have ever walked the face of the planet. And and I'm personally disgusted. I it, I don't know how Bobby- I can continue. Bobby doesn't surprise me. I could see him get a little dirty on the football field, but Justin, I'm disappointed. I thought he'd be the guy that would like extend a hand to help up the opposing oh, no. team player. I'm Never. disappointed. I don't want to freaking touch anyone. I hate doing this because I hate talking about myself, and I just feel like anyone who like talks about like their playing days it sounds like a douche at all times. But I really did like in practice in college. My coach literally had to be like, "Hey, are you taking steroids because you're fighting a lot?" Uh, like I just I, I I it's kind of like that floor it's 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 like a Florida mindset I don't know like it's just it kind of grew like I enjoyed fighting like I you know like people get always like why do people punch people in the helmet it's like it's more of like just a a respect thing um and like you usually don't break your hand because their helmet moves with your hand it's not like it's not the same as punching a wall um so yeah I'm all for dirty player playing like I and that and then like at the Dallas end of the Dallas game I was so frustrated. I was like, can you guys stop talking and just brawl? Like, I'm tired of you guys, like, b- like titty bumping after every play. Just fight already. <laughs> titty bumping. <laughs> All right, what are we talking about, Justin? Get us back I on track. I don't know. What are we talking about? Um, let's, uh, let's bring up two people in particular. Let's, let's, stick, it, let's stick to two people here um, rather than wasting our time and wasting our breath on talking about Antoine Bethea, Alec Ogletree, and how they're terrible football players, and Nate Solder, how they basically won't even be back next year anyway. So let's talk about Evan Ingram. all the old people that suck. <laughs> all the, yeah, all the old people that suck. And, and Nate Solder's wife on Twitter follows us. She must not like us on our timeline. I don't think she follows us anymore, to be honest. I'm going to check that out right now. Yeah. Yeah, please let, yeah, let us know. Let, let us know. I'll I'll introduce I'll introduce what we're going to be talking about. But basically, she is no longer following me. There you go. There you go. Damn it, we lost her. Let me check. I'll I'll get back. So, players fighting for their jobs the next six weeks is kind of like the overarching topic, and I'll kind of put that in quotes because um, I don't really know if the two guys in particular. You know, you can argue that are they fighting for their jobs for the next six weeks or are they actually not? But I think some of the fan base would particularly say that DeAndre Baker, one of the guys that we're going to be talking about, is that he is actually fighting for his job, even though we think that's the most absurd and uh, crazy lunatic take that you cannot that you honestly can have. I think people are at a point where they just want to be mad and be angry at something tangible. And DeAndre Baker is just that guy. And then also Evan Ingram, Um, Evan Ingram's uh, impact this year has been uh, limited to say the least. It's been very, you know, 
on early on in the season. But the fact is, Dave Gettleman is trying to build a team that availability is the best. Availability is the best ability, and Evan Ingram hasn't been that for Dave Gettleman and this team. So let's finish off this episode, fellas, and talk about. Evan Ingram and DeAndre Baker and what we want to see from them out of the next six weeks. First off, can we stop the DeAndre Baker hate? Like, I get he's an easy target right now, but everyone has started to really get on my nerves that we're calling for his benching as a rookie. What do we accomplish by benching him now in his rookie year when we're going to need him next year and as well for years and years in the future? Because he's a quality corner. Rondé Barber said on the Fox broadcast, it takes time to develop to the NFL level. DeAndre, everyone develops at a different pace. So give DeAndre Baker his time, and next year when he goes out there and dominates, I don't want to hear anyone saying, oh, I knew this was coming, because you didn't. You were calling for his benching this, uh, what's today, November 15th. You were calling for his benching. And then Evan Ingram, uh, I won. I would like, to, first off, let's get him back out there. Let's see him healthy. And I want to stay healthy for these next six games. If he could do that, that's a good step in the direction. And then, I just need to see how him and Jones connect because I've been saying Jones and Ingram are that security blanket. And when I see him back there, I believe Jones will feel more comfortable having the Ingram option. So as long as Jones and Ingram can get on that same page and be a good duo, then Ingram's around. It doesn't matter. He will be around because Daniel Jones will feel comfortable with him. That's what I hope to see out of these next two weeks and obviously continue growth for Baker. All right. So so this is tough for me because I am obviously – if you follow me on Twitter or you're even remotely aware of what I, what I'm saying on Twitter, I am a huge DeAndre Baker uh, supporter. And I, and if you listen to bleeding blue, um, I'm, I'm a huge Evan Ingram supporter. He was my breakout player for this year. So these two guys are tough for me. Um, DeAndre Baker. I think I agree with you. 1000% Danny. He, has been getting so much unwarranted hate. Um, and it's just lazy take after lazy take after lazy take without really paying any attention to his, his body of work this season. Um, it's, he was bad in weeks one and two. And because of that, I think everyone has just decided he is a bad corner. Um, so every single time he gives up a completion, it becomes oh, There's Deandre Baker again. When in reality, he really has not given up a hell of a lot in the last seven or eight weeks, and he's faced some decent receivers along the way. Um, but that's a that's a conversation for a I could I could do a whole episode on DeAndre Baker. So so the DeAndre Baker hate is ridiculous. He's not fighting for his job though. To Justin's point, he's not fighting for his some job people say that because... he is David, and that's the freaking insane part. Well, that's insanity. I can't. I I can hard. I cannot wrap my head around the fact that people believe that a rookie who you spent a lot of capital on getting, you're going to pass up on that quickly. That's just Twitter doing Twitter's thing. Oh, it's Paul Schwartz. So let's not. I, I'm trying not to give that any any credence. Paul Schwartz is an idiot. He that 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 article this morning just just rubbed me such the wrong way. It was not the way to start work. But regardless. Evan Ingram is a is a much more interesting uh, study to me. He was my breakout player coming into this season, and and when he's been healthy, he has been dynamic, and he's been a great option for Daniel Jones, and and clearly a security blanket like Danny mentioned. But I, I don't know. I'm getting tired of this pattern that is 
he just can't stay healthy. And, and I feel bad for the guy. And, and I don't think that was the, I don't think that's anybody's fault. The guy just can't stay healthy. And, and if the giants let him go somewhere else or let him just walk, I hope he becomes a pro bowl, a pro bowl tight end on another team. Cause I think he's a great football player and I think he has the utmost potential, but you know, like Justin says, almost every single podcast that we have on Bleeding Blue, the best ability is availability. This guy just cannot stay healthy. You've got, I hate to say it, but you've got Red Ellison, who continues week in and week out to make plays. I, I'm oh, a, no. I'm a big fan of Red no. Ellison. I'm not, saying he re, I'm not saying he replaces Evan Ingram. He doesn't. But... When Daniel Jones throws Red Ellis in the ball, he catches it. Oh, yeah, for what? He's four, productive. Four yards. I uh, say that to his 31-yard 31 31-yard 31 reception he had last week against the Jets. Yeah, and to, a, he, and to a blocking tight end that can't freaking block anymore. If anyone's replacing Ingram, I want Simonson. Let's make that clear. Yeah, all right. Let, let, let's see Simonson after he what did he, like, broke his ankle. High ankle sprain. Same injury, Saquon. Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, fun fact. Uh, what uh, Scott Simonson's been out for? Uh, uh what yeah. more than like yeah. eleven weeks since Saquon Barkley had the same injury? <laughs> and <laughs> well, to be fair, Scott Scott Simonson was not built in a lab the get way that Saquon Barkley. Was. Uh, but yet, but yet again, yet again, <laughs> Justin can't play doctor. Justin's not a doctor, so he's not allowed to speak on behalf of medical issues. Okay, we're we're. You should probably shut up. You're not a doctor. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> you don't know what Seriously. he's going through. Evan Ingram, I, I I hope he's in the long-term plans for this team. And I think if he's healthy, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that talent-wise and ability-wise, he should completely be part of this team's long-term plans. But I just don't know if th- this pattern that he has of, of not being able to string three games together, that, that can't be part of your long-term plans, especially with a young team. With it, with a young quarterback, you need guys who who you can you can gain trust and you can gain a rapport with, and that's not Evan Ingram right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll finish off. I actually I don't have much to add. I actually agree with David on uh on both Baker and Ingram. Like I love Ingram, but at this point, it's like okay, dude, if you're not going to be available, like he's been injured in all three seasons now. I I you know some of those have been a little overblown and it's like over freak injuries, but at the same time, it's like. It's three. This is actually his fourth injury because this is the second time this year he's been hurt. Um, so that's that's frustrating. And tight ends a position where you can kind of go out like you don't. It's, you don't need the, the fastest tight end in the world to have a really effective tight end. Um, and like if if you can get if you can get some team crazy enough like the Rams to trade a first round pick or something like that from the all season, I mean it'd be pretty tempting. Um, and then Baker, I'm not worried about at all. I think he's actually played pretty decent with some with a, a bad start uh, to, to get off there and, and one play where he didn't hustle and the whole world is going to overreact. And by the way, people, Vernon Hargraves was not cut from Tampa because he doesn't hustle. He was cut because he sucks. And the coach made an example of I was going to say, he that stinks. Was, he was horrible. I live in Florida. I watch a lot of Tampa games. I'm around a lot of Tampa fans. They can't stand Hargraves. He's horrible. They weren't bringing him back, so they figured they'd cut him and show the rest of the team that we're not playing games. It's like, no, Hargraves just sucks, and you didn't want him. So that's that's all I got, to be completely honest. 
Should I close this out? <laughs> All right, I, I didn't know if we had another topic or what. No, no, this no. We're a very fun episode, but we're cho- we've been choppy. We just had like a like a like a five ten second silence right there. Like, <laughs> I didn't. I t- I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. Zen- Zencaster. Uh, this has proved to me that I don't want Zencaster. We're staying with Skype. Suck it, Delton Giant listener. The auto is not going to be as good. Oh my! Oh well, guess my what, Bobby? God. We record out of our apartments. We 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 record out of our apartments, and I have no inside info. So I was just about to talk about that rating. Yeah, yep. I, listen, I have a house. I'm not. I'm not a poor person with an apartment. I I guess we just got to continue filming out of our apartments. Wow. <laughs> See, I can make those jokes because the Talking Giants listeners know that that's just literally a joke. The reason I can't get an apartment is because I have a pit bull and I have horrible credit. <laughs> talking Giants becomes talking economics right there. I was gonna. I was gonna say this is this is uh, the Bloomberg Minute brought to you by uh, Bobby Scott. Credit back to you. And a pit bull. Pit bulls are like <laughs> no goes in apartment complexes down here. Can I just say if somebody has put the last like two hours of their life aside to listen to both our bleeding blue episode and the talking giants episode. They deserve some, they deserve some kind of metal. They do. They do. This is a marathon. They get the, uh, they get the, I'm the best award. <laughs> we just got them from their lunch, from like their lunch break, basically until the time they have to leave. They have to like, they're leaving work. It's like listening to a Joe Rogan podcast about the giants. Exactly. That's exactly what it's like. And I don't, I can't listen to Joe Rogan because it's so long. Yeah, it's like it. Christmas. Hey, fun fun fact: I don't celebrate Christmas. So, yeah, you just put, you just I don't celebrate Christmas. So, it's, I'm not going to the playoffs. Wow. So, way to go, Justin. Bad guy move number infinity for me tonight. I'm not a Jehovah Witness for those who are wondering. Whenever I say that, people are like, "Are you a Jehovah Witness?" I'm about to say, if you come up to my door, I'll be like, get away from me. What's great is they, and, and, you know, they'll ask me, are you Jehovah Witness? And I'm like, no. And then they'll be like, are you sure that you're not a Jehovah Witness? Fine. <laughs> yes, I am sure that I'm not a Jehovah Witness. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a show. This has gone way off. Are you sure about your religious identity? <laughs> um, that's a show. We've gotten way off the rails. We appreciate Justin and David. We love you guys. Go follow them at jpenix74 at David Double underscore palace. Until then, let's go Big Blue. I shouldn't have stopped the music. All right, so a lot of people are starting podcasts today. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Their creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will, di- will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one play. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You'll be glad you did.